0: Well, welcome Hillsborough First Baptist Church family. Uh, We're excited to uh, dig into God's Word again today. So if you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Jonah chapter 1 as we continue our series in the book of Jonah. Um, Those of you who know me well, we've talked about this before. Uh, I do sermon planning uh, way in advance. Uh, Most years my entire preaching schedule is done before we start the year, which is true of this year, Uh, the entire um series uh, plans for the entire year were done before 2020 started, but I'm always amazed at how God and and through his Holy Spirit line up some of the things that we're talking about uh, week to week, and uh example of that is just the whole Esther series that talked about where is God when God seems absent. We started that right during the COVID pandemic, and it just seemed to fit so well with where we are. Now here we are in the book of Jonah, and this week we're going to talk about loving our neighbor, we're going to talk about racism and nationalism, and we couldn't have planned a, a better time to talk about these hard subjects. So we want to just start with prayer, asking God to open up our hearts to what he has to say to us uh, today, and, um, and also just thank him for his sovereignty in preparing for us to look at this uh, on this day. And so let's uh, open up. In a word of prayer, will you join me, Father? We love you, and it is difficult at times to even turn our TVs on and watch the news. Uh, we are brokenhearted over the things that are happening in our nation. The division uh, that is apparent. Uh, we are tired of social distancing. We uh, long for your kingdom to come and and to join. Uh, in fellowship with one another to have a, a period of, of peace. Um, but Lord, uh, more than anything, to see your justice come. So we pray this morning, your kingdom come. But we realize until you return that we are your priesthood. We are your hands and feet. We are light and salt in this earth. And so we pray that you would open up our hearts to what you have to say to us today through your word. And we recognize that we're doing this in a way that's uncomfortable for us. We're watching this on a TV, but God, I just pray that you would just help us to enter into worship, enter into your Word today. That we would be open to what you have to say to us. We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. So here we are in uh, Jonah chapter one, and uh, kids uh, up here is uh, the chart that we are working through and. Last week, the key in uh, box number one, I said there's going to be two things in the box. So the first thing was, you can't run from God. And today the focus is on loving your neighbor, but specifically, uh, we're looking at what happens when we don't love our neighbor. And so the key phrase uh, in the box is, you can't ignore your neighbor. You can't ignore your neighbor. They're right there. And uh, we're going to be talking about that. Uh, Rich and I were discussing what will the prize be for the chart this week. And so, kids, you're going to have to trust us on this one. Uh, we're going to give you uh, fish and worms. And uh, you're going to be excited about it. So fish and worms, uh, if you fill out the chart, just trust us. It'll be good. All right. Um, church, here's where we're going. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. And when we don't love our neighbor we end up in a storm. And when we don't love our neighbor, we might find that the roles are reversed. And when we don't love our neighbor, we might learn that we are majoring in the minors. When we don't love our neighbor, we end up in a storm, we might find the roles are reversed, and we might learn that we are majoring in the minors. Let's look at the text for this morning. Um, And I'm just going to pick it up. Uh, We read... uh, verses 1 through 6, I believe, last week. But uh, let me just pick it up in uh, verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise! Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give, a, give thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that the great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men towed hard to get back to dry land. They rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord. And notice here in the text they use God's proper name. Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Yahweh have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifices to Yahweh and made vows. Here we have God's prophet running from God, and he's in this boat, and God brings a storm to get Jonah's attention. Jonah is so unconcerned with what is happening to the little world that he is now living in, which is a boat. And he's so unconcerned with it that he just goes and he falls fast asleep. But these sailors are afraid. The captain wakes Jonah up. And he asks Jonah to pray to his God. And the sailors say, man, who are you? What's going on here? They ask him a bunch of questions. And really, Jonah is showing no concern, at least at the beginning, for those in the boat. When we don't love our neighbor, we often end up in a storm. Now, if you have your Bibles and you're listening, I'd like you to keep your finger in Jonah. And I would like you to turn to Proverbs chapter 1. And we're going to talk a little bit about these. Storms. Now, we've noted this before, and so I want to remind you, not every time we enter a trial or a difficult time uh, is it a storm because of sin. But it's clear in this passage that the storm is because of Jonah's sin. And so not all storms are God punishing us, but sin does often bring a storm into our life. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. In Proverbs chapter one, uh, Solomon is writing to his son, and he is teaching him about wisdom. And at the beginning of chapter one, we have a little introduction, verses one through seven. And then in verse six, he says, or "Excuse me." In verse eight, he says, "Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching." So here's the lesson, son. Listen. And he tells them that that when sinners entice him, that he shouldn't cast his his lot in with them, he shouldn't go in with them uh, to kill people uh, and to rob them. And and it seems pretty extreme. Like, is that something this king's son is tempted to do? But he he summarizes what he is saying uh, in verse um, 19. He says, such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. So he's saying, look, son, don't don't get greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. And he goes on to describe wisdom in this way. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets, verse 20. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of a noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in the scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make your words known to you because I have called and you have refused to listen. Have, uh, Have stretched out my hand and no one has... Has Look, God's saying, because I, I put my hand out for you and you're not taking it. Because of that, you have ignored my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm, listen to that, like a storm. And your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. Would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own desires. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them but whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Listen, there's storms that are attached to our sins when we don't respond to God's rebuke. And so here's a few lessons. Sin often just brings natural consequences. In verse uh, 29, he says, Because they hated my knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, because of that, he says, um, therefore, verse 31, they shall eat the fruit of their ways. In other words, look, when you make bad choices, when you refuse to live according to God's word, you're just going to experience the natural consequences that that brings. And we could give all sorts of examples. I think you understand uh, what we mean, but uh, I've always you know, just told the story when we were Raising our kids when they were little, and we lived in McCall where it snowed, we had a weird rule at our house, and that rule was don't run on the driveway. And the reason why we taught our kids that was because when the ice came, when things froze at night, it be, the black driveway that we had became slick and you, you didn't see it. And one time our kids ran across it and they fell and they bonked their heads. That's a natural consequence. But whatever it is, if you don't take care of yourself, if, if you uh, uh, are hostile in relationships, if you n- ignore things that God is bringing you, you'll experience natural consequences. Sin also brings divine judgment. In verse 23, it says, If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I've called and you refuse to listen... Now when calamity comes, I'm just going to mock you. So sin brings divine judgment. And at some point in time, that divine judgment becomes due. And so you have an opportunity to repent, to turn. And at some point, God says, that's enough. And then third, sometimes sin just brings a slow death. Sometimes we just don't see it. It's the natural consequences, but it happens over time. And so he said at the beginning of this, he says in uh, verse 19 where I started, such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain, and it takes away the life of the possessor. It's not an instant thing. It's that going after unjust gain that eventually just slowly kills you off. When we ignore our neighbor... Storms come. We have storms that are attached to sin, and we also have storms that are attached to sinners. And what do I, what do I mean by that? Look at uh, Go back to Jonah, and, and there's just a few things in there that you you just kind of read over, but you have to kind of think about them a little bit. In verse five, it says, "Then the mariners were afraid. And cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it. Now, there's a few things there. These guys were sailors. These guys are on the water most of their life. And you know, sailors kind of have a reputation, and I'm sorry for you Navy men and Coast Guard guys, Rich, but sailors kind of have a a reputation, don't they? Being... Pretty hard guys, often being foul-mouthed. And you know, there's there's some truth to that, not all, but there's something about being on a ship with a bunch of men over a long period of time. Janine had a a grandfather that was a fisherman, and some of the stories he would tell were absolutely just uh, shocking to me. You know, there's justice on the sea that you know, there's no cameras out there and there's only a small group of guys and things happen out there. One time, uh, Janine's grandfather cut himself pretty bad. And, uh, you know, there's no uh, urgent care out there and so he took a rag out of the engine room and tied it around his arm. And when he got off the boat, that rag was now a part of that cut. He ended up getting gangrene from that, uh, that decision. I mean, these guys were hard... Men, and here they are in a storm. They faced storms before, but they knew there was something different about this storm, and they were afraid. When we hear that the sailors were afraid, what we are supposed to understand is this was a major storm. And so, this storm that is happening because of Jonah's sin affected other people emotionally. Do you understand that when we sin, when we act? Contrary to God's Word, it impacts other people emotionally. You don't think about it? And how is our sin, our bad habits, the things that we aren't changing, how does that affect our kids, our grandkids? Maybe as you get older, you start to notice that the things that annoy you, you see in your kids because they learned it from you. This storm that they are going through because of Jonah's sin affects them spiritually. I I don't think that these were a bunch of God-fearing men. I think that the fear of God was placed into them and they start praying. We're supposed to understand the contrast here that the sailors are praying and Jonah is sleeping. The next thing they do is they start throwing their cargo into the, into the water. Well, guess what? When you don't show up with your cargo at the port, you don't get paid. So Jonah's sin has now impacted them financially. They lost everything on this trip. Because Jonah is running from God. And you know what? When we sin, it can impact other people financially. It costs the sailors intellectually. It's interesting when they get Jonah alone now, when he's awake. They have a string of questions for us, for him. Tell us on whose account this evil has come. Where do you come from? What country? What people are you? Look, they are they are wrestling with what is going on here. Their world is literally being turned upside down, and they're trying to refigure it out. Why are they doing that? Because Jonah is a sinner. And when people look at you as a follower of Jesus Christ and they see behaviors in you and attitudes in you that are contrary to the way that they even understand God's Word, it impacts them intellectually. And so we have to be careful with that. And finally, it it costs the sailors relationally. They begin to wrestle with. Jonah says, okay, yeah, it's me. Uh, The lot fell on me. It's me. I'm running from God. Why don't you go ahead and just toss me overboard? Now you would think at this point, the sailors are going to go, great solution. They've already thrown all their cargo over. They've lost everything. Let's throw this guy over. I don't want want innocent blood on me. I, I don't want to upset your God anymore. We don't want to do that to another human being. Begins to unpack them relationally. Look, our sin affects other people. And I, I know I use these words a lot when I'm preaching. And, and here's why. When Adam and Eve sin, when they, when they choose to define good and evil on their own, when they make that choice, the image of God in them is broken. They no longer mirror who God is perfectly. It's now through a broken mirror. And when we look at the person of God, we, we see that he, is, he has emotion, he loves. We see a spiritual relationship between Adam and Eve. We see that God has cared for them perfectly. We see that God is thinking and creating, and he is in relationship with the Trinity, and with Adam and Eve, and all those things become broken. And the rest of the story, this upside down story that we read, is all about God restoring those things. And so look, when you sin against your children, when you sin against your employer, when you sin against the church, or against your community, these things impact other people. So we must walk carefully. When we don't love our neighbor, we end up in a storm. Storms attached to the sin. Storms attached to sinners. And then storms attached to sanctification. Um, What do I mean by that? We see some roles reversed uh, in this. And I'm trying to make sure my notes are correct, but just just follow along. Storms attached to sanctification. What, What do I mean by that? Uh, storms often reveal what's really in our heart. In other words, God often presses the right buttons, doesn't he? And if God is messing with your finances, if God is messing with your relationships, if God is messing with those things, what he's trying to say is, you are loving these things more than you love me. Storms often turn us back to God. And ultimately, storms cause us to repent. And we're going to talk about Jonah's repentance next week. um, And we're going to talk about whether it's sincere or not in the next couple of weeks. But at least at this point, Jonah goes, it's me. Throw me overboard. Now, this is interesting, and scholars disagree. Is Jonah committing suicide because he just doesn't want to go to Nineveh? Or is he giving of himself to save the ship? It Could be a little bit of both but no but Jonah is changing a bit here and you know what when we go through storms it changes us doesn't it it molds us and shapes us so we when we don't love our neighbors we often find ourselves in a storm and second we might find that the roles are reversed uh, there's just a great contrast in Jonah chapter 1 and in Jonah chapter 3 about how the man of God acts. Here's the prophet, and here's the pagan. And in both Jonah chapter 1 and Jonah chapter 3, the pagans act better than the prophets. And so we can learn here from these reversals. But church, let me also say this. It's a reminder to us that God wants us to treat people of different races and faiths in a way that is respectful, loving, Generous and just. Let me say that again. Jonah chapter 1 reminds us that God wants us to treat people of different races and faiths in a way that is respectful, loving, generous, and just. So here's the contrast that we see In Jonah chapter 1. The first is that the sailors are in touch with the problem. We see that the sailors are very aware that there's a storm. They're also aware that this storm is unusual. And that it must be a judgment from God. These are the pagan sailors. They're aware that something supernatural is happening. And where's the prophet of God? He's asleep in the bottom of the boat the pagans are more aware and in touch with the problem. And so I want to just take a a moment to address some of the things that are happening in our nation currently. And I want to start by asking this question. Is the church out of touch with the problems in our country? With the murder of George Floyd, is the church out of touch with the problems in our country. And I don't know that we're going to answer that today, and the church is kind of a big word. Um, And I know that many of you have been overwhelmed with everything that you hear and see. And so what do we do? Well, this is what I did this week. And maybe it's a little cheesy but I called one of our elders I called Rick Jones because he's an African American man that I know and I asked Rick a few questions and the first question I asked him was just this how you doing I asked him that because he's a friend he's a co-laborer in Christ and he's a member of our body And I just said, Rick, how you doing? And he acknowledged that it had been a rough week. No surprise there. I said, Rick, you're one of the elders here. What do you feel that your pastor should be saying to our congregation during this time? And I acknowledged that uh, some of the things that I had been doing and reading and how I was doing in that, Rick asked me that question back and I said, i, I got to tell you, Rick, I, right before this uh, conversation, we were on the phone. Call called our, our black friends and ask them to explain this to you. So, so I, first of all, I said, I apologize. And he said, no, I, I'm happy for the call. It shows you care. And so we talked about what should we be saying to our church, and this is what two of your elders came up with. First of all, acknowledge that there's a problem can we just acknowledge that there's still a race problem in the United States? Just because you don't feel it, just because you don't experience it, does not mean that it does not exist. And whether you want to say it's just perceived, it doesn't matter if it's perceived, it's still a problem. Because there is a large group of people that are experiencing it and perceiving it as an issue. So can we as a church just acknowledge that there is a problem? The second thing, Rick said, Dave, can you just remind people of our mission and vision? And our mission is we strive to be a multi-generational church that is reaching out to individuals and families in our community. There's some assumptions in there. Multi-generational. You know what, I, I can just tell you from my limited facebook and social media experience this week that generations don't see the problem the same way and if we're going to be a multi-generational church we need to listen to the other generation and all i see is each generation just kind of throwing their stuff out and no one's really listening and i know some of my kids have been involved in that with people of the older generation and if we're really passing the baton, we might need to start listening to them. And Rick pointed out, if we're really going to be multi-generational in our community, we also need to be multi-ethnic. And Hillsborough is growing in, in that area. Some of you grew up and, and this was maybe predominantly you know white or whatever, but with Intel and Nike, this area is, is growing multi-ethnically. And we need to think multi-ethnically. And then our vision is to love God and what? Love people. That's what we're called to do. Love people. So ask yourself, has your responses been loving? And then Rick took a moment to remind me of their story in coming to Hillsborough First Baptist Church. I said, Rick, I said, here's the thing. We're reading all this stuff and, and, and we just want something to do. What, what do we do? What can we do? And Rick said, you know what? Lorraine and I were so well received by Hillsborough First Baptist Church. And uh, he said, Dave, I hope that others, people of color, will be received the same way that we were received and then he challenged me. He said Dave, if we didn't present ourselves as well as we did. And let's you know, we I, we had a little joking here and I said, "You mean Rick, if you didn't show show up dressed better than the pastor?" Uh, right? I mean, c- come on. I this we know Rick dresses nicer than me, right? I mean, he looks better, he talks better. And so h- here he is and he presented well. He said, "Dave, if somebody of color didn't present themselves as well, would they be received the same way? And I said, you know, actually, you know, not to justify, uh, or, you know, our church, but I said, let me tell you a, a story about another African American man that came to our church. Some of you remember Fletcher. He had gotten into trouble and he showed up and we loved on him. We helped him with benevolence. Uh, I mean, I drove him to work a few times. Some of the guys went and got him some clothes for work and, and, uh, Fletcher was a part of our church for a period of time. And, He went back to drinking and drugs, and he got in trouble, and he was gone. And some of you know, I've shared this before, Fletcher showed up a few years later. And he knocked on the office, and it was so good to see him. And he he said, Dad, I just want to come in and talk to you. And he said, I want to thank you, and I want to thank the church for the way that they love me. And he said, but you know what, I just wasn't ready. And he said, I I got in trouble again. And he ended up at the rescue mission in Portland, and he went through the program. And then he, he began sweeping sidewalks, and then he became part of the program staff. And now Fletcher, I believe, lives uh, works in Tualatin and he works with uh, drug and rehab. He helps people out of prison and getting them clean and sober. And sometimes he shows up and he brings his clients over uh, for help from our Benevolent Fund. And so I said, Rick, we did, we did love him well. And so here's the challenge. Church, you do a great job. Praise. Thank you. Pat yourself on the back. But that's our home turf. Let's love the same way outside the church as we do inside the church. Let's make sure we're doing that. And the final thing, just in discussing this, is that it's okay to be uncomfortable. And, uh, man, I'm just i uncomfortable with this. And it's good to be uncomfortable because I don't want to be okay with it. And so I have a quote here from uh, an article I read at the Gospel Coalition. It was uh, written uh, by a man of color, Uh, philip holmes vice president uh, for institutional communication at reformed theological seminary and he said this i don't grieve as one without hope my hope is built on nothing less than jesus blood and righteousness i am however uncomfortable my model is jesus in the garden of gethsemane where he was both distressed and hopeful We all should be uncomfortable about the injustice in our country. For many Christians, facing the reality that America still has a race problem is uncomfortable. Until we are able to listen to the cries of black advocates, sympathize with black mothers, and express righteous anger over dead black bodies, we might remain uncomfortable. Excuse me, we might remain comfortable if we're unwilling to go there. But it's a poor substitute for the love to which we've been called. Uh, There's a link to the full article in the notes, and then we've also placed in that section uh, a speech that uh, Rick gave me that was written by Martin Luther King, and I, I encourage you to read it. The sailors are more in touch with the problem than Jonah is. Church, we need to educate ourselves, we need to listen, we need to lament. We need to be uncomfortable for the things that are happening in our community. Second, the sailors are seeking the common good. The sailors are seeking the common good. Sorry, my notes seem to be out of order there. You can follow along. The sailors are seeking the common good. Look, they're trying to fix the problem. Jonah's sleeping. Church, we need to be seeking the common good of our community. The sailors are praying. The pagan sailors are praying and Jonah is sleeping. How how's have you been crying out to God this week for the injustice? The sailors are aware of the spiritual realities. This is an unusual storm. And you the sailors are like, who's your God? Why don't you pray as well? The sailors are more open-minded uh, than, than, Jero, than, than Jonah is. They're willing to learn about Jonah's God. There's kind of a, An interesting thing here, we might find the roles reversed, uh, and and you you don't see it necessarily uh, as easily in the text, but if you look at verse 6, the next thing that happens is that the, the captain comes in, and he said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper, arise? Call out to your God. He is actually repeating Jonah's call. It's the same Hebrew word in verse 2, arise and go. And so he is reminding Jonah of his call. And it's really sad when the world has to remind us of our own mission and vision. It's really sad when the world has to say, hey, aren't you guys already talking about loving your neighbor? Loving your enemy? Just a little reminder You know, we're, we're reminded that we're also in the same boat. And uh, here in Jonah, literally, but in the country that we live in, we're, we're in the same boat. And here's a few things that we need to remember in, when we're looking at Jonah and the pagans. First of all, we are all image bearers. We're all created in the image of God. Human beings, regardless of your color, regardless of where you're from, you are created in the image of God. Not just you. Everyone is created in the image of God. When you look into the eyes of somebody that you disagree with, that you, they sit across the, the aisle from you uh, politically, or they, they have a view that you don't like, they're doing something you don't like, just remember that that person bears the image of God. We're all impacted by the community we live in. We're all impacted by the community we live in. Jonah's may be sleeping, but he's still impacted by the storm. Keller wrote this: "If crime plagues a community, or poor health, or water shortage, or loss of jobs, if an economy and social order is broken, we are all in the same boat." Look, our downtown has been impacted by COVID nineteen. The the restaurants that you haven't gone to, those servers. I'm going to just tell you a personal story. I have have kids that are in the service industry. They are back to work now. And so my daughter was laid off and she got um, unemployment. And then the help came for those that were unemployed by COVID. And actually my daughter was making more on unemployment than she was working. And then her daughter, Place of employment got one of those special loans. And they said, So now you need to come back to work. And if you don't come back to work, then you can no longer receive unemployment. So she's stepped back into work. And at first, because they had the loan money, they gave her a full time salary now for doing some stuff that was still not frontline serving. But then they said, Now, now we're back to work. And so now, uh, you've got to come back to shifts selling coffee doesn't seem like essential to me, but it is to some people, right? Some of you are going, oh, it is essential. And so she's serving coffee one day a week for eight hours. She went from full-time to getting paid more money to be getting paid a full-time salary to now working eight hours a week. Why do I say that? That is true of a lot of people in the service industry in our society. You b- might want to tip a little bit more. You want, might be a little kinder to that server. You might realize that people are struggling financially and we're all in the same boat. Yeah, your security might be way more than other people, but we're in the same boat. We all experience God's common grace. Um, we don't really have time to go into this today, but but there you know God causes the sun to shine on the godly and the wicked. Uh, there is common knowledge that God gives to all human beings there's the rain comes and brings, pl- I mean, we all experience God's common grace. As a church, if you know Jesus Christ, you experience some even more special grace. But look, we're all in the same boat and that we're, we experience God's common grace. And then finally, uh, we all have a need and responsibility to one another. The sad part is that Jonah is not bringing the resources of his faith to bear on the suffering of his fellow travelers. Let me say that again because this is our challenge. The sad part is that Jonah is not bringing the resources of his faith to bear on the suffering of his fellow travelers. Are we bringing the resources of our faith to bear on the community in which we live in? When we ignore our neighbors, we find ourselves in a storm. We also sometimes find the roles reversed. And then finally, uh, we might find that we are majoring in the minors. Um, again, we could spend three weeks on Jonah, four weeks on Jonah chapter 1, and I need to finish up. But uh, they begin to ask Jonah uh, a list of questions. Uh, why is this happening? Um, you know, they cast the lots, verse 7. So they cast the lots, fell in Jonah. They said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come. We, we already know that. It's, they said, what's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? And of what People are you. And Jonah answers from the reverse back. He starts with, I'm a Hebrew. Now, there's something with uh, this passage that we're reminded, we don't necessarily think this way, but in this time, what country you were from, what people group, probably determined which God you worshipped. Not necessarily the case today. And so they are asking all these questions and they're asking, who are you? Where's your identity? Who's your God? And it's interesting to me that Jonah answers first with his nationality. I'm a Hebrew. And listen, we live in an awesome country most of the time. We have some incredible freedoms. Uh... Usually, uh, things are going well financially. We can own our own homes. We can have a retirement. We can travel. We have so many freedoms. But listen, who we are should first and foremost be in followers of Jesus Christ. We are members of the kingdom of God. We are part of the bride of Christ. And whenever we start to put our nationality as our number one identity, we will always get lost. And I believe that's part of Jonah's problem here. More than anything, he's a Hebrew. More than anything, he's from Israel. More than anything, is his nation. Um, I was fortunate to be born here. Some of my brothers and sisters in Christ were born into different situations, but they are of the same kingdom. They are from the kingdom of God and they are of equal value. Who are you? Where do you find your significance? As image bearers, because we're created to be image bearers, we all draw our significance from something else. That is how we are made. The temptation is to control or try to control the source of your significance instead of accepting where your significance comes from. And so you say, well, this is my occupation. This is my place. This is my family. This is who I am. Instead of just accepting, you know who I am? I'm not a pastor. I'm not an American. I'm not an Oregonian. I'm not a doctor. My name is Dave Fields. And I've been created in the image of God. And I've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am complete and utter failure. But God loved me enough to send his son. And in him I have a new heart. And I am a new creation. And I am a member of the kingdom of God. Everything else is less than secondary. Where do you find comfort and joy? Jonah finds comfort in his nation. Joy in his people. And God is trying to get him to see his neighbor. So here's the application and action for this morning. Open your heart to the kingdom of God. If you have not yet, bow your knee recognize that God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to rescue you out of whatever situation you are. That your sin has separated you from God and but by the blood of Jesus Christ, all of us are damned to eternity separated from God. But if we confess him as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. So first of all, open your heart to the kingdom of God. And then I would say, many of you have already done that. You've already received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I would just ask you to open up your heart more to the kingdom of God. You know, it's interesting. if Go back and read the Gospels. Jesus doesn't come and say, hey, I want you to pray a prayer. He says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And let's open our hearts to the kingdom of God. And then you and I need to open our eyes to the needs of people around us. And more than ever, we live now in a society where people have real needs that need to be met. And you say, Dave, what is the church doing? Look, what we are doing is turning the mirror back on you and saying, who is in your area of influence? Who do you know that is hurting? And let's take the resources of the church to help those whom you are in relationship with. Open your eyes to the needs of your neighbor. And finally, just specifically, outside the walls of this church, be ready to open your hands to those around you. To give a hand up. To give a virtual hug. To enter into relationship with those who are around you. Hard text. Hard application. Truth. Truth. Of God's Word if you don't love your neighbor you're going to end up in a storm you're going to find the roles reversed and ultimately when you run from God and you don't love your neighbor you start majoring in the minors and so let's keep the main thing the main thing and the main thing is Jesus Christ and him crucified let's pray God we love you we recognize that this is a difficult passage. We seek you to help us to apply this to our life and make known to us how we can love those around us. Open up our eyes to the needs of people. Open up our hearts to people who uh, are, are looking for help from you. God, we pray that you would give us wisdom and insight into loving our neighbor. And God, I know this has been a hard message and a hard week for people. And so God, I just pray that we would just simply stop for a moment And say, God, speak to my heart. Help me to be open to rebuke. Help me to be open to change. Help me to be open to the leading of your spirit. That I might love my neighbor better. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and God bless.